Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Coffin and this is Reset. Misinformation. It's rampant. One of the biggest threats to a free and fair election. Tech companies like Google, Facebook, and Twitter are trying to counter misinformation, debunking false claims in real time, labeling social media posts as misleading. This time around, if a political candidate claims victory before the official returns are in, well, the companies have a plan for that, too. But once the rumor mill starts turning, it can be hard to stop, and critics say the tech industry waited far too long to take a proactive approach. Shira Frankel is a cybersecurity reporter for the New York Times, and she joins us now with more on misinformation in the election cycle. Shira, welcome back to Reset. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, So let's get misinformation versus disinformation. Is there a difference? Yes. So the way we use it at the New York Times, and this is the way most news organizations are going to be using it today, is that disinformation is something that's organized. It's usually an attempt by a foreign country to spread a certain message. And the the principle behind it is that it's something that's been sort of centrally organized. Misinformation is just false information that's being spread organically. So it could be people sharing it, seeing it and retweeting it or posting it to Facebook. But there's no kind of like, you know, hand behind it, guiding it and, and trying to enforce a certain message. Right. What are some of some of the other examples of election misinformation that you've been seeing? So misinformation that we've already seen today is people sharing information about poll uh, workers that have been blocking people from voting. We've seen reports of machines being hacked when, in fact, those machines are most likely just breaking due to reasons that they always break. Um, We're seeing a lot of tweets and stuff circulating about ballots being thrown away by poll workers. And, of course, we've checked with those poll workers. No one is throwing away ballots. So people are already spreading a lot of these rumors. And these are the kinds of things we see circulating every time there's an election here in the United States. Where does it come from? I mean, is it is it as, as simple as saying it's a it's a misinformation campaign from a foreign country or or, or or for political groups and operatives? You know, most of the time, it's just people sharing bad information. It's just someone saying a friend of a friend told me and then a rumor takes off and maybe somebody changes it from being a friend of a friend told me that their vote was thrown away in Pennsylvania and the next time it gets told it's Michigan and the time after that it's Florida. So it's mostly just a rumor mill that gets amplified because all of us are so much online these days on Twitter, Facebook, and all the other social media platforms. Well, we mentioned the social media platforms like Google, Facebook, Twitter. They're stepping up to combat some of these fake news stories and misinformation campaigns. Talk about some of what they're doing. Right. We're seeing really serious efforts on behalf of all those companies that you just mentioned. Facebook is, of course, taking really serious steps to try and stop anything that's going to disenfranchise voters from voting. So any kind of information that tells people not to vote today or gives them wrong information about where they should go vote, Facebook's taking that down. Twitter is also debunking information in real time. And YouTube is trying to sort of surface facts ahead of videos so people can go to real sort of sites for their voting information. All that being said, there's only so much the platforms can do if a person decides to share a rumor with another person. I've heard this idea that if a political candidate tonight goes out and has a speech and gives misinformation in the speech, what do they do? I mean, what do they I mean, this is American history. This is an American moment. This is uh, could be, you know, it's a political candidate. How are they going to be in a position to take something down or or censor something that's being said? Well, so this is actually something that they've been drilling for for months because they very much expect that it's a possibility tonight that one of the candidates will, you know, perhaps claim victory ahead of a victory being actually assured. 
And so what they've said they're going to do is that if a candidate tries to claim victory before the actual results are in, they're going to remove that. But, and there's a big but here, they're not going to remove it if a news organization publishes an article claiming mm. victory on behalf of that candidate. So if a right-wing or a left-wing newspaper were to publish a headline saying that a certain person had won, they're not going to take that down. And so you can see a really easy workaround, a loophole here for any of the candidates to use where they can just share an article from some, you know, fringe or partisan news site instead of declaring victory themselves. Well, and, and in a situation where, let's say that uh, one of the candidates gets up and makes that declaration in a speech, that speech is live on all of the major networks. So I don't know how they're going to be able to pull that, like if, if, if that happened. I mean, it's different to put out a tweet that says, I declare victory. But it's another when it's part of the public record. Now, they have some experience with this. There's been times in history of the past two years in which events have happened. The Christchurch massacre, of course, is one that comes quickly to mind, where many versions of a video, many versions of an event were quickly uploaded to social media, and they were able to act quickly in that moment to take it down. I do think this is going to be a real challenge tonight if you have you know, a vast majority of the United States trying to share information in real time from a candidate's speech. And this is a real test for the platforms to see if they can sort of prepare if they have adequately prepared and if they can really do better this time around as they, than what they did in 2016. Yeah, and, and I wonder, too, because, you know, the other thing here in Chicago and other big cities, we see this in Washington, D.C. and New York as well. They're preparing for civil unrest. They're boarding up the businesses along Michigan Avenue here in Chicago. They're preparing. The, the city came out with a preparation plan. Misinformation plays a big role in that about who's coming to Chicago, outside agitators. This is actually a big part of American history. What do we do about that? Because there, you know there's going to be social media posts tweets and, and Facebook posts that, that may seem to be saying something's happening when indeed it's not. Exactly. And, and what you just said is so perfect because the important thing to remember here is that a lot of what you're seeing online isn't verified. And the point of it is to scare you. It is true that people are boarding up businesses. It is true that people are preparing for unrest. It's also true that sharing that online, the point of it is to scare you into staying home and not voting. And so when you see that information, when you see people using those kinds of scare tactics, it's really just pause for a moment and say, well, is my polling place safe? Is my location safe? Is my neighborhood safe? And the answer so far is yes, we're not seeing any kind of civil unrest happening at this moment. And so go out and vote, because if you don't, you're letting that misinformation mm -hmm. win. At the end of the day, these companies, you know, as you said, are getting ready for this. But, but is it too little too late in the sense that the, you know, the horse is out of the barn? that there's really no way for Twitter, Facebook, Google, and others to kind of rein in what is already kind of uh, taken off in our society? I mean, that's a great question. And, and, and it kind of goes back to, is there, you know, what could they have done five years ago? What could they have done 10 years ago? By their very design, these platforms are sort of constructed in a way to make things go viral. And they tend to encourage people to share things that are going to go viral. And that tends to be something pretty extreme. And so they're amplifying these really extreme voices in our society. It's getting worse every single year. And there are a lot of people asking whether they can ever get a handle on misinformation. I think the companies themselves are asking it. And this year, this day, today, is their chance to prove that they can start to kind of maybe build a barn around the horse. Mm -hmm. But um, it's a big question on everyone's mind about how much they can actually do. Yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. That's New York Times uh, cybersecurity reporter Shira Frankel. Shira, thanks so much for breaking it down with us and, and take some time out today. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk with Shira. Let's bring in Helen Lee Buig. She's the CEO of the Paris-based Reboot Foundation, dedicated to improving critical thinking skills and combating misinformation. Helen, welcome to Reset. Thank you, Justin. I'm super glad to be here. So how successful would you say misinformation has been during this specific election cycle? 
Misinformation has been successful back in 2016, and while there hasn't been any direct studies to measure if there's more than 2016 or less, clearly there has been alerts from different officials, including Christopher Wray, as you know, the FBI director recently, who warned Congress about particularly these challenges of fake news. Yeah, I, I, and you know, I wonder, I wonder about, just talking about misinformation, is there a certain demographic that misinformation campaigns primarily target, or is it just a blanket fool everybody? Well, unfortunately, people tend to think that older people are more susceptible to passing on fake news, et cetera. But the Reboot Foundation, we actually did a study uh, recently about specifically misinformation. And it, while it is true that older users, meaning the demographics for people who are over 60 years old, prefer clickbaits more than younger users, um, and so that's comparing to those who are younger than age 30. However, interestingly enough, the younger adult population tends to be more duped by partisan websites Mm. and hence actually have a propensity to pass on uh, misinformation equally. The one uh, clear conclusion that came out of our study shows that It's actually the time spent on social media, the worst people's news judgments are. And unfortunately, this is regardless of a person's age, income, or political affiliation. That's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, You focus on getting news consumers to improve their critical thinking uh, so they can spot, they can reject fake news. How can we be better about critical thinking, especially today? Well, today with the election, I I think, uh, you know, we often talk about Um, having some social media detox. I think now is probably an excellent time to do it. Listen more to NPR or obviously um, focus on different multiple sources of institutional sources as they're gathering information. There is absolutely no reason why we should be gathering our news via Facebook or uh, Twitter, but rather actually directly going online to both differently partisan, um, uh, you know, journalistic sites. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we talk about the habits, regardless of just today, but when we're on social media, what are the things that we should be really thinking about or applying when we're suspicious of uh, a news story? So classic uh, media literacy practices that we need to constantly practice um, as individuals is one, not just click through the first search. Uh, when, you, when you do a Google search or something, mm-hmm. not just click through the first article, because we tend to forget that, indeed, the logarithm is organized such that what appears on the first two, three articles are based on your experience of what sites you've already been to. Right, right. The second is actually, I mean, how many of us actually will co- go to the second or third page when we do a search? And those are practices that we need to do. And, and, and fourthly, it's really important, again, to go back to using some media literacy skills, fact-checking, where you do look at the author's background, look at what's being financed for the site that you're on. The difficulty of gathering information online is that it's quite difficult to differentiate between blogs, funded, sponsored sites, or actual just institutional sources. And that's why it does take more time, and that's why we we become more lazy about doing it. But clearly, uh, us as individuals need to focus more on double-checking sources, understanding the background. And again, I think the easiest tool I would mention is 
don't just click on one or two articles, but make that effort to try to review other pages. You know, we just talked about uh, with Shira just this idea that tech companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter, they're, what, they're, what they're doing to combat misinformation specifically for today. Do you think they're doing enough? From, from your vantage point at the Reboot Foundation, are the social media sites doing enough to deal with this issue? By definition, the way that their logarithm and the way they're structurally organized is to play on people's emotions. And naturally, that's the biggest challenge about misinformation and social media. So for me, it's not a question of do they have the right will or are they reactive enough? Mm -hmm. It's fundamentally the way that they have set up their sites and their actual revenue model that is fundamentally problematic in terms yeah. of dis- dissemination of disinformation. Yeah, and that, that, that we, I mean, the social dilemma and everything in between, just the fact that they can make money and they know how to make money off of misinformation, <laughs> that's obviously a problem. Uh, Helen Lee Buig is the CEO of the Reboot Foundation dedicated to improving critical thinking skills and combating misinformation. Helen, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you. Thank you, Justin. And thank you for listening. I'm Justin Kaufman. We'll be back tomorrow with a breakdown of who won and who lost and what's still too close on Election Day. The presidential race, U.S. Senate, local races, the amendment to bring a graduated income tax to Illinois. We'll explain how it's all shaking out. So exciting. Speaking of the election, if you're catching this podcast on Election Day, that's today, Tuesday, the 3rd, join us for Election Night starting at 7 o'clock tonight. Live coverage of local, state, and federal races. You can find that at WBEC.org. And 91.5 on the FM dial here in the Chicago area. I'm hosting along with Dave McKinney. And finally, if you're listening now, well, you're a Reset Superfan. <laughs> Thanks for your support. And if you'd like to help us out, be sure to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps other listeners find us. All right. Thanks again. We'll talk tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.